0: If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. What do you think of when you hear the numbers 911? When I was growing up, those numbers always meant a call for help. But for the last 20 years, they've also signified the anniversary of the worst terrorist attack on the United States of America, and one of the deadliest days ever on American soil. Few days will forever be etched in my memory like that one will. It is, as FDR once said, a day that will live in infamy. I was 15 years old. A sophomore in high school, and band class was just beginning lots of talking, lots of tuning of instruments, and lots of blissful ignorance. just before our conductor, Mr. Steffens, started us on our first piece, the orchestra teacher from across the hall came into our room and whispered something in his ear. She was crying. A plane just hit the world trade tower he said. Typical of a room full of high schoolers, we laughed it off. It couldn't possibly be true. Then he turned on the TV, and we saw the plumes of smoke pouring out of the side of the building. Moments later, the second plane struck, and the room that was once filled with joyful noise was deathly silent. I remember moving like a shadow throughout the rest of the day, every classroom echoing the news, All of us acutely aware we were witnessing history forever changing in the moment, but unsure of how to actually move forward. At the time, my cousin was serving in New Jersey's National Guard, and I was worried she was going to be called to ground zero, or worse, sent overseas. My husband's family is actually from northern New Jersey, and at the same time I was moving like a shadow worried about my cousin, he was desperately trying to get in contact with his mother and he wouldn't hear from her for over a week. It's hard not to feel helpless and hopeless when large-scale tragedies occur. Sometimes it's even harder to see God in all the darkness. Today, we're joined by Father John Bateman, a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force Reserve and pastor at St. Patrick Parish in York, who served during wartime and helped his parishioners through the events of the day itself. Father Bateman, thank you so much for joining me today. It's It's been a little while since we've talked. It has, but it's good to be back with you. Thank yeah, you. it's nice to have you back. Today we're talking about a little bit of a heavy topic. We're talking mm-hmm. about 9-11 and the attacks that occurred that day. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, I can kind of split my life in two. Everything that happened before 9-11 the 9-11 and everything that happened afterwards. Mm -hmm. So could you tell me where were you on 9-11 and what did your life look like before that day?
1: Yeah, so uh, 9-11, I was, let's see, five years a priest. Um, I was stationed at that point. I was the parochial vicar at St. Joseph's in Hanover, and we were in the middle of a building project at the time. So you know, before that, life as a typical parochial vicar, I was the chaplain at the Catholic and just going about daily life and everything was fine. Uh, I remember that Tuesday, uh, we were in a meeting about the new rectory and office that was being built at the time. And all of a sudden, all of our cell phones started going off. And we all kept saying, What's going on? We kept turning them off. To, you know, it's not that important worth this meeting, you know, it'll wait. Uh, eventually, then the school secretary came to the room and knocked on the door and said, I'm sorry, but you need to know what's going on. And she explained to us what was happening. And so, you know, I remember clearly that that's where I was and that's how we really found out. So then we, of course, ended the meeting and went to see and turn on the TV and see the horrible images that we all probably, many of us have ingrained in our in our minds, Those those visions. I remember then that also that day, it was my day to go and have mass at the local nursing home. And so Sister Phyllis and I, Phyllis Brenner and I, uh, went to the the nursing home to have Mass. Well, if you ever walk through the halls of a nursing home, there are TVs on everywhere. And of course, what's blasting in every room, but these images and the terrible events of the day. So as we're preparing for Mass, I remember thinking, well, how, we need to do something. We need to pray. We need to do, so I remember looking through the missile and there is a prayer uh, a mass formulary for in time of war civil disturbance and so I remember praying that that prayer that day Uh, just to begin right then and there praying for peace so that's like the morning that it was all happening and then of course that afternoon we had the middle school uh, out at the, the house and so I remember that afternoon the middle school had no tvs so the only people aware of what was happening was the the faculty none of the kids were aware so we had a quick meeting of the minds with the principal and the pastor, and decided what to do. And they decided that I would go with all the kids into the church, and explain to them what was happening. So I remember calling them all in. Of course, they had no idea, and I just explained to them that uh, we had been attacked. The country had been attacked by terrorists this morning. And when you go home, you're going to there are terrible images on the TV, and I'm just going to ask you not to turn on the TV. Wait until mom and dad are home so that you can sit with your parents and talk about what it is that you're seeing. Because, the and I explained to them, it's very difficult to watch, that we suspect that many people died and we kind of watch it on live TV. So please have your parents there to do that. Um, so that was the afternoon. And then like so many places, we just opened our doors that evening and, you know, without any... Uh, advertising, without anything, any announcement, just people th- showed up by the throng to church. And so we put together an impromptu prayer service and just you know, prayed with people. In moments like that, that's all that you can do. The only equatable thing I can think of is in the parish, we had a, a young person who was killed in a car accident. And when I went to the house, uh, we just wept and together. And I said, there are no words. Let's just pray. And isn't that the reality when there are, when there are no words for something? What can you do but turn to God in prayer? So that was real. That's really my memories of the day. Other than the fact that it was strange to not have any planes flying overhead, but for a, quite some time. But that's my memories of the day, really.
0: Right, and that's that's such an impactful image. Like I didn't even think about it. That you you looked up at the sky and like you didn't. You didn't see anything, mm-hmm. how quiet everything was.
1: Mm-hmm. And St. Joe's is in the flight path for Dulles. Mm-hmm. So to not hear a plane, it's very unusual there.
0: You had only been a priest for five years. Mm-hmm. So when did you transition to being a chaplain?
1: So that was, let me think, that was quite a number of years later, actually. That wasn't until 10 years later that I actually joined the military. Um, I had, and I think I said this the last time I was with you, that I had intended or wanted to join the military, but at the time we didn't have the priests available and uh, to let that happen. So it was under Bishop McFadden that he had asked for a chaplain for the wing that's here in Harrisburg, and I was able to join.
0: So nine twelve, what did your life start to look like, and what has it looked like since?
1: I think the way that we look at things is different. I, I recall a couple things happened immediately after nine eleven. One would be that we now have a weekend to preach when everyone now is going to be coming to mass. And if the church wasn't full on 9 itself, it was packed that Sunday. And I remember how emotional I was in trying to deal personally with all the tragedy that we had seen and all the things were going on. I, I couldn't put a homily together even. So I remember that uh, the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, had addressed the situation at his audience on Wednesday in Rome, since it was the day following the attacks. And so all I could do, and I I remember saying, look, I don't have the words. I'm as overwhelmed as you. And so what do we do as Catholics in times of like this? We look to our Holy Father. And so let me just read to you what our Holy Father said. And so that's what I read. I just read what the Holy Father had said at his audience about the need for prayer and the need for us to um, gather together and, you know, God is present even in the midst of the tragedy, and that, that's really all that I could do. We had a number of people who came to the service that that evening, the evening of 9-11, who um, actually then from that inquired into the Catholic Church and actually became Catholic because the church had opened its doors, the church had been present, the church had been the place that welcomed people in this time of struggle and time of despair um and so they really felt that that was Christ's presence and Christ's calling to them to in fact become Catholics so it became a moment that uh Christ touched people in their hearts and brought them to him
0: That's fascinating that you mentioned that because on a day like 9/11 like the tragedies that we've seen happening it's it's kind of hard to to see God in mm-hmm. the rubble and even A few years ago, National Geographic had released a six-episode series called 9-11, One Day in America. And in the first episode on seeing the plane going to the South Tower, an eyewitness exclaims, there is no God, which I'm sure was Mm -hmm. said countless times over the course of that day. Mm -hmm. If God is all good and all God created is good, Mm -hmm. how could something like 9-11 happen? Yeah.
1: And as you said, how many people might have said that or how many people said, "God, why don't you answer my prayer? Get me out of here!" Or, How, "Where's my loved one?" You know, many probably cries of despair, uh, perhaps at least momentary despair, um, as the reality of what was happening was unfolding. But at least for me, and probably for many people, what's the image that we have of the rubble? It's that cross that appeared in the steel girders. You know, that's the image. That so impacts me, and it's the one. It's probably the most vivid image that I have of that terrible rubble um, from that day is that cross, and it just spoke to me about even in the midst of the tragedy, even in the midst of the most horrific events, Christ is present. You know, the the greatest thing that we can do as people of faith is really to connect our difficulties and our trials and our struggles, whatever it might be, to the greatest struggle between good and evil that ever existed, which would be the crucifixion. You know, it's only because of Christ and those terrible events of Good Friday that Easter Sunday comes. And I say so often to people, God allows things to happen. God doesn't do things. You know, he doesn't say, okay, we're going to make this terrible thing happen in your life. We're going to make people fly planes into buildings. You know, that's free will the, the gift of free will and we can choose to use it for good or for evil and unfortunately people chose to use it for evil god allows things to happen but i would say it's because he knows that if we respond uh, to the to the grace that god pours into our lives as a result of the tragedy or the trial or the struggle we will be holier and stronger people because of it, because of God's grace poured into it. That if the trial or struggle or tragedy had not happened, perhaps we'd have stayed on a more stagnant level. Um, but now, we've grown as a result of the, the terrible thing that has happened.
0: Absolutely, He gives us a choice, right? To love, right? Piggybacking off of that, sure. you mentioned the the cross and the rubble. Mm-hmm. Where else can we see God in like terms of mass tragedies, like mm-hmm. unimaginable things like school shootings or any other act of violence that just kind of shakes us to our core? And in every
1: one of those, as, as horrific as they are, you mentioned school shootings, whether it's of all day or you, there's always these stories that come out of someone giving themselves for another or doing what they can to help another. You know, 9-11, you think of all the firefighters and the first responders going up the steps while other people are coming down. There's just that natural instinct to to reach out to those who are injuring, who are in danger, who are in trouble, and, and to care for them. You didn't have to be a first responder that day. There are countless stories of the guy that happened to be here, and he met someone here, and he carried them down countless stories of that. And, and I think that's where we, in, in looking at the situation, see God's face. And it's in each other, isn't it? That we can see Christ in one another. And that's the whole, you know, that's how we're to, called to live our lives, isn't it? To be Christ for others. And what, as, as much as we don't want to have tragedies in our lives, when and if they do happen, that's where we can become Christ. And we can be that face of Christ for others in the midst of their tragedy, bringing Christ into it and bringing the hope of new life and resurrection that comes from it.
0: I love that. It reminds me of a few weeks ago. I had Chris Wood come in here. Mm -hmm. He's one of our spiritual directors. And he talked about being the body of Christ and Mm -hmm. how maybe like God can't physically come down and hug us, but our friend across the table can give us a hug. And that's feeling the body of Christ embracing us. And I was like, that is such a powerful yeah, image. And when yeah. you think of it that way, it gives a whole new respect for the person sitting in front of you or next year behind you or wherever. Yeah. Isn't love- that,
1: is it St. Therese that Christ has no hands, but yours.
0: Oh, right? that's beautiful. That We
1: become the hands and the eyes and the heart of Christ reaching out to others.
0: Yes. That's beautiful. I love that. I hadn't heard that one before. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I personally was not on the ground at nine 11. And I know a lot of people, Other people weren't on the ground in New York or in Shanksville or in DC. But obviously, we were all very deeply affected by it, you know, as a country. And it quite literally changed the course of how we live our lives. And I remember there was a lot of fear surrounding how do we live our lives after that? What do we do? And there was this big call for a return to normalcy, like going back to baseball games or going out shopping because we needed that sense of peace and comfort and being able to just keep moving forward in our lives. But sometimes I feel like there's this guilt that remains like a weird sense of survivor's guilt. Like I wasn't there, but I still feel guilty for living my life because 3000 other people can't. So when large scale tragedies like that happen, but don't directly impact us, how can we keep the faith and keep fighting evils without feeling paralyzed by that guilt.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it, it goes to a bigger question in terms of evil itself. In in my view, what evil wants to do is to stop us and to cause us to constantly look back and to focus on the past and get us stuck there. Whether it's our own sinfulness or, or, or even our, our, our guilt over things that we might have done It wants to keep us there. Evil wants us to stay there. Because where does hope lie? Not in the past, right? But in the future. And new life comes in the future. And so we need to focus, I I think, on two things. Certainly the present moment, which is the only moment we have to live right now. How right now am I Christ's hands and feet? But also that looking ahead to where is Christ calling me to go? And where is Christ leading me? You know, how many times have we heard people say that in the the response to terrorist attacks is we have to return to normal because what, the, what they want to do is to cause us to stop and to change our way of life, which for us as Americans is that whole idea of freedom and uh, freedom of expression and how we live and going about our daily lives and freedom of movement. And they wanted to stop that. And so it was that call to know we need to go back to, to normal. Yes, there needs to be an appropriate time for mourning and for grief and and for prayer uh, but we need to return to normal as well, or evil has has triumphed, and evil has won, and we never want to let evil win. And so recognizing the past, again, maybe more spiritualizing it, our own experience with evil, recognize evil in our lives, recognize our sins, but they're in the past, in the present, bring them to Christ, you know, for us as Catholics, into the sacrament of penance if necessary, and then Look to the hope and the future as uh, Jeremiah, a future full of hope You know that Christ always gives to us unless we're stuck in the past. And that's where evil wants us to stay because that's where there's no hope.
0: Mm. I love that. It reminds me of a quote that I have on my phone that says, Satan isn't trying to kill you. He's trying to make you ineffective because mm-hmm. then you can't do the will of God if mm-hmm. you're stuck. Mm-hmm. I love that. And
1: what can you do about the past?
0: Nothing. Right. You Ineffective. have to move forward. Ineffective.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. But what can you do about the future? Everything. Exactly. Everything. Beginning now.
0: Yep. I love that. So this was something I just learned. In the Catechism, section 409, it states, the whole of man's history has been the story of door combat. Is it door combat? Dower. Dower. Mm-hmm. Thank you. With the power of evil stretching. So our Lord tells us from the very dawn of history until the last day. Finding himself in the midst of the battlefield, man has to struggle to do what is right. And as an airman serving in wartime, did this impact you at all? Cause to me, it seems like this is a kind of morbid section of the catechism. Like no matter what you do, like evil's always going to be there. So kind of what's the point? But it wouldn't be in the catechism if there wasn't hope. So right. how do you how did you navigate that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and evil will always be there until it is destroyed when all enemies are put beneath Christ's feet, right? As we hear in Revelation. So evil will always be there because if there is no evil, then there's no free will. Because it's that it's that strange reality that if I can't choose to do evil, then I have no free will because I only can do good. Mm. And so we don't have free will. And so it is that mystery of that that presence um of evil. For me in the military in the Air Force, you know, part of our uh, mottos is is always doing excellence, you know, striving for excellence, and excellence in all we do, and um, integrity first. And so those whole aspects of doing what is right and doing what is good was always rooted in, um, at least as a chaplain for me, everything that we did um, as chaplains, to do the right. And, and I think in a, in a larger perspective, as uh, any military member, while we receive orders or we're told where to go or what to do or what battle to fight or what bad guy to engage, It's always because we understand that those who are superior officers have that larger view that maybe I don't. And so I may not see the biggest picture and why we need to go after this bad guy, but the people above me do. And so I trust that they see that larger picture. They're looking to do what truly is right and just. You know, Our our whole Catholic understanding of just warfare and all those aspects, proportionality and all of those things that um, I think it, it, it... it works for us. Uh, it applies to us that we're doing what is right, what is good in order to preserve the, the dignity of, of each person, the, the real values that we have as a, as a nation.
0: That's interesting. Could you expand a little bit on, I didn't know that there was a Catholic just warfare. Is that, is that something that you could talk about a little bit?
1: So the Catholic principles of just war theory there's a couple of them. One is that there has to be a just cause. You don't just go to war with someone for no reason. Um, much like we're experiencing in Ukraine, you know, why everyone is decrying this as a terrible invasion. There's no just cause, um, for this war. So there has to be a just cause has to be a last resort that you don't just rush to war, but diplomacy and all the other efforts first, before you try to resolve a conflict uh, with war, um, Thirdly, it has to be declared by a proper authority. And if we remember after 9-11, how united we were in declaring um, that, uh, we have to possess the right intention, that our intention is not to go wipe out our enemies, but to stop what has been an unjust situation or bring justice to an, an, an unjust situation. Reasonable chances of success so you much like we had just this past sunday you don't go build a tower if you don't have the means to do it right you, you got to think it through and then the ends being proportional so you don't rush in and drop a nuclear bomb for something that was a far lesser um, attack so it has to be proportional so those are kind of the the roots and the the principles of catholic just war theory
0: that's so fascinating i never knew i never knew that but it all it all makes a lot of sense especially mm-hmm. when you correlate it with what we believe is Catholics. We don't just want to go in and with our pitchforks. Right. It's
1: not just about being pacifists and, you know, allowing ourselves to be the doormat and trampled on. There are our rights and we have the the right to defend our rights. You know, we have the right right to stand up for human dignity and for human life and the dignity of every person. And when those are violated with appropriate means, with reasonable um, response that needs to be protected.
0: Right. Jesus turned the other cheek, but he also flipped some tables. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about your personal experience serving overseas. I understand chaplains have to go through all the same rigorous boot camp and training exercises, but you're not necessarily on the front lines. What has your experience been ministering to those who have had traumatic military encounters or even just struggle with military life in general? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it is true that we chaplains have to go through all the same training that everyone else does. Um Now, that will vary, depend on the branch of the military. Uh, Myself, having been in the Air Force, it's a little bit different. So uh, we don't have to sit in the gas chamber as uh, Army chaplains do. Uh, We don't have to do all the rigorous things that a Marine chaplain would do, being part of the Department of Navy. But I would disagree that chaplains are right on the front line.
0: That is, you a know, good point. we've
1: got chaplains right on the front line. If you think to Afghanistan a year ago when the bomb went off at the gate, there was a priest right there who was in the midst of that and immediately ministering to not just the injured, but the survivors uh, that there was a priest right there. So we are right there on the, the forefront and on the battlefront. And in fact, any of the uh, priests, the chaplain medal of honor winners, um, Imo Kapan, they were on the front line the grunt padre, he was right there ministering to them at the line of battle. So it's not just that we're in the background. In my case, again, Air Force, um, I wasn't necessarily on a front line because the Air Force doesn't really have a front line. Uh, we're the back defense sending the or sending things in. But we were uh, when I was deployed, we were very close to Iran. And so there were uh, several times during my deployment there where we were put on high alert, because uh, there were there was the threat of a real attack um, on us by Iran, because of the, the, the mission that we were accomplishing there. So we were a couple times under threat. And as they say, there are no atheists in foxholes. Uh, there were quite a number of people, young men and women, who came to talk to the chaplain, because I don't want to die. I'm too young to die. So we may not have been on the front line, but in a sense, the front line psychologically came to us, mm. that the reality that My gosh, I could die here. Um, So, again, as we've said earlier, as chaplain, just being Christ's face there for them, assuring them of Christ's presence that no matter what happens, you know, are you right in your relationship with God? Are you right in your relationship with your family, with wife or children? Have you told them you love them? You know, all these kinds of things. Um, So that no matter what happens, we know that we're in the right place, um, at least spiritually, with God.
0: Right. It's it's a spiritual and a physical oh, absolutely. front line. Absolutely. On this anniversary of nine eleven and in consideration of other recent tragedies like what's happening in Ukraine and any other instances of violence, what are some ways we can be living witnesses of God's love?
1: Yeah, I think just re-quoting what we said earlier, be Christ's hands and feet, his eyes, you know, with how or what are we doing to help the people of Ukraine, whether Financially, or with physical things, or inviting refugees into our homes, or just prayer—you know—what are we doing to reach out to be Christ for others? And I think that's in whatever tragedy. How are, how am I being Christ to them? Um, so often, for me, the image of the Pietà is the one that comes to mind because there's a great mystery um, that I reflect often on there. Anytime I deal with death or, or families who are experiencing trials. I see remember that you can be Christ for the person who's suffering just as Mary ministered to her son and the person who is suffering can be Christ for you to whom you can minister and so there is this beautiful exchange of love the one who ministers is being ministered to at the same time there's this beautiful exchange that can happen. And and for me, it is encompassed in that image of the pieta, that love that mother had for son, and certainly the love that son had for all humanity represented in mother as she held Christ in her arms. So I think the answer there is just be Christ for one another. Be that smile, that hand that's reaching out, that kind word that maybe sometimes just embrace, or that Assurance that God has not abandoned you, but God is with you and God is offering you his grace to become holier as a result of this by holding on to that hope that Christ always gives.
0: That's beautiful. Well, Father Bateman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And I hope that we remember everyone on nine eleven and everyone still currently going through something. And we continue to just be Christ for one another. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org D-A-C and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.